This is episode 58 of the Cool Button Hockey Podcast. From Whitby, Ontario, me. From Germany at the U18s, him. That's Craig Button with the beautiful scenery in the background. Before we talk NHL, how was your travel, my friend? Do you get acclimated to the new time zone and change? Because you're so used to it because you're a world scout and executive traveler in hockey. I, well, I've traveled a lot. I, honestly, I hate telling people this, but like I get acclimated like that. Wow. I never have a problem. No drugs, no supplements. I have a I have a I have a plan that always works. I sleep four hours the night before I leave. I don't have dinner on the plane. I have uh, I sleep for four and a half, five hours, have breakfast, and I'm right on track. Went to bed last night at eleven o'clock local time. Woke up right at 7:15 this morning, beautifully well rested, and away I go. And I will tell you this: I'm in Munich. So you know what Munich has? It's Bayern Munich. Alfonso Davies. I got to tell you, he is like, you know, we think about hockey in Canada. Well, football in Germany is huge. And Alfonso Davies is massive. <laughs> Kid from Edmonton, Alberta. Can you imagine that here in Bayern, here in Munich? It's, un- it's unbelievable to see. Right. He is the man. He is the God. Uh, and that's a great connection considering that, um, well, in Alberta, they did a lot of <laughs> bad things to the Dallas Stars. Like, we, Vegas, it was it was over. We thought it was over after New Jersey. They played well in the 4-3 overtime win, thanks to Shea Theodore. But then Dallas goes to Alberta, and they don't do the two-step. They do the misstep. And let's be honest, Oilers and Flames are good. Flames are even better. Now the door's open. How open, Craig, for Dallas to and Vegas to get in? Well, Dallas and Vegas play one another. So, you know, so, so therefore it falls into each of their hands about, you know, who could potentially do it. I still think Vegas has a little bit tougher schedule than the Dallas stars, but you know, that head to head, that's where it could come down to. When you think about, you know, we've, there's been a lot of talk about expanding the playoffs, but how about some of these races? Okay. Forget about the East, but there's placing in the East in the West. You know, Vancouver takes it right to the max. They're done. It's over, you know, after the six, three loss to the Minnesota wild, but from watching now to see what's happening in the West with all these uh, particular matchups, Nashville, Nashville, you know, like they had a big win against the star, against the Flames. They're going to have to go into Tampa and win one again to kind of secure a spot. But the Vegas Golden Knights, tell you what, they've stayed alive in Colorado. That's your reward. That's your reward for being the best team in the West. You get the Vegas Golden Knights. That's not a reward. <laughs> so they play Sunday, Vegas does, against San Jose at Dallas back-to-backs at Chicago, and they end with the Blues. Three and four, which means they got to use both goalies. What was your take? I, I, I was shocked that Leonard got pulled after a bad goal in one period. If Peter DeBoer didn't want Robin Leonard to start the game, why did he start the game? I didn't like the goal. It squeaked through by Ovechkin and then tapped in by Kuznetsov. Does that him say, yeah, you know what? I, I made a mistake by starting Leonard. I'm going to make the change. I just assumed it was Leonard. He was hurt. But it worked with Logan Thompson. Why didn't he just start Logan Thompson if he didn't like Leonard against New Jersey? Well, you, you'll have to ask Peter that question. So what I'm going to do is, is respond to what he did say. Okay. He said he didn't like the way his team went wobbly after that goal, which speaks to Robin Leonard. Like, okay, so the goal goes in and the team's like skittish. The team's on the bench going, oh, what's next, right? And Peter DeBoer, I give him big credit. Because regardless of why he started them, or believe he said, uh-uh, uh-uh, my team is not responding here to this very well, and we could be down two or three. He recognized in the moment that, uh-uh, this is not going to carry on, you're out. 
I love it. I love when a coach just says, no, I got to do it. Who cares how you, why you started it or who you started, right? Bottom line is this for me, it's like timeouts. Why do, why do coaches hang on to their timeouts when you might not, you better recognize a key moment in the game and use it. I thought Peter DeBoer had his finger on the pulse of his team. Forget about, and he, he was sitting there going, Oh my Lord, like we can't get stable here with, with Leonard in the net. And they're all kind of, that's a feel. That's a, that's what a coach needs to do is have a feel for his team. I love it. I love it. I love the fact that in the moment you got to make those hard decisions. Who cares why he started them? He said, Nope, you're out right now. 72%. The odds of Dallas getting in 32% for Vegas and the Canucks are still just Bruce there. They still are. It's not going to happen, but it's been an amazing story. Pat Quinn. I remember saying at a season ending news conference and he talks about the exit meetings and then you know he keeps private what he says to the players he spoke in generalities but then he talked about himself and said i used four of 82 timeouts this year i got to be better i got to call a timeout with 30 seconds in overtime to get sunday and mcgillney back on the ice as opposed to letting the clock run out with i think he said Corson and, and Roberts or whoever it was. And that's his way of saying, you know what? The game's so fast. Um, play your best players. Play them as often as you can. So coaches at, at times get to the podium and they don't give us a lot. Other times they do as Peter DeBoer did. Daryl Sutter does. But, but I really like that. I really like that. Um, so this is a great race. What is now basically carved in stone is Minnesota-St. Louis. I have no idea how to handicap. Like, I don't want to bet on this. I don't want to give sports interaction odds. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know, Craig. And I'm, it's not an upset. I'm not surprised. All I'm going to say is seven games. God help us pick who's going to win this series. Well, here's what I would tell you then. What you got to do is you got to go to sports interaction and read the line. I mean, they're going to they're gonna lay the line for you, right? They're the experts here in this. So at the end of it all, right, go there. They got all the numbers, and then they'll give you the confidence of which way you want to bet. That's what I would suggest to you, my friend. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to lay the line. They do a great job of doing it. Well, I'm going to have to peek at your uh, sports uh, logic notes, too. And, and sometimes I hear and see, like, I'm fascinated by them, but sometimes I wonder, what does it mean or will it matter? when it matters you know like here's just a great analytic the blues are 13 one and one against minnesota in the last 15 i don't care like i so what are you telling me they're going to sweep the blues are going to sweep minnesota no they're not and could we see all four goalies in the series is it uh, could there be a, a mini rotation is it right to flurry like you don't bring flurry in to say guys this is my shiny new car and i'm going to park it in the garage no, it's the summer. I'm going to drive the Corvette with the roof down and my hair's going to blow in the wind. So it's got to be flurry, right? Yeah, but, but, but it doesn't have to always be flurry. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> right, right, doesn't it? Like, you know, one of the things too, and I, I, I use this quote quite often, everything that counts can't, be, can't necessarily be counted. And everything that counts can't necessarily always, sorry, let me get that quote straight again, okay? Let me start this again, okay? Everything that counts can't necessarily be counted. And everything that counts doesn't necessarily count. So like, you know, you gotta, we've talked about analytics and we've talked about how you use it and trying to decipher it, right? So let, let me go to another, like, think about how St. Louis attacks the net, right? And, and, and they create a lot of challenges. They move you east to west, side to side. They move from low. They bring the puck to the net. They crowd the net. Well, think about the demands on a goalie in a series. 
So like, you know, so like, it's not just about stopping the puck or how many shots, how many times did the goalie have to move from his right to his left? How, did, how many times did he get bumped in the crease? So by having both Marc-Andre Fleury and Cam Talbot, you've given yourself the luxury of switching things up and not running your goaltender into a tiring situation. I like that. And that's what, so when I look at the St. Louis Blues and how they attack in and around the net, that's another factor that comes in about who I'm going to, you know, you sit down and go, okay, how, how, how challenged did he get in last night's game? Well, maybe we need to give him a rest and, you know, we're going to, we're going to make sure that uh, he, uh, we, we put our other goalie in. I like that. I, I like more options rather than less come playoff time. Yeah. And I don't know how the schedule works. U.S. television. Will we get a back-to-back? I know. Everyone wants the perfect every other night scenario. There's buildings. There's a lot of items in play. If there is one, maybe Minnesota says, we'll take one first. And then the Blues might say, well, we've got Husso and Bennington. So we might see all four goalies in the series. We'll have to examine numbers as we get closer. But right now, game seven overtime. So give us our Pavel Bure moment in that series. I said on the show earlier this week, no offense to Daryl Evans and our buddy Jimmy Fox, the Oilers better beat the Kings, all things considered. There's no Drew Doughty over there. Like for the Oilers and the season they've had under Jay Wood, they got to win. That's that's all. Connor, you lost to Chicago, right? That was a joke. You lost to Winnipeg. That was a bigger joke, maybe. You got to win the series. I don't care. Like you got to win the series or this is, I, I think, a mini house of cards. Like it's gone too well to lose to the Kings. With all due respect, every team in the league would want to play the Kings in the first round. Toronto would like to play the Kings. Tampa would like to play the Kings. <laughs> Boston wants to play the Kings, but they can't. The Oilers get the Kings. I'd rather get the Kings. Maybe they'd want da- Dallas. Maybe they'd want Nashville. Not, I don't know if I want Nashville. So for Edmonton, it's go time. It's show time at the top of the order with 29 and 97. Okay, so, so that's great. And, and I'm not going to disagree with you, but this is always one of the challenges in the first round. Okay, so you have Edmonton. So the LA Kings go in there and they go, we got nothing to lose. We got absolutely nothing to lose here, right? And to your point, maybe the Edmonton Oilers have a lot to lose, right? So how do you exploit that if you're the LA Kings? And, you know, you know, you go for it. Like you're attacking, you're trying to get them uncomfortable, right? I know this, okay? I know this. If the Edmonton Oilers, Bob Ganey always used to tell us this in Dallas when we were pre-scouting for the, he said the first round is really tough because – the higher seed has everything to lose. The lower seed has nothing to lose, just as you pointed out. And they have lots of energy. They have lots of energy coming in. They're not tired. It's not second or third round. They got lots of energy, right? And they, they're reading everything. You better, we better know our first round opponent. The Edmonton Oilers better have dialed into the LA Kings and know every single part of their team that they can take advantage of. Because if they don't, they're opening them. They're opening up an opportunity for the LA Kings, and that's what Bob always used to tell us. We don't want to open up any opportunities. Doesn't mean it's not going to be competitive, but we don't. We, we want to make sure we close off any of those areas, and we know if they're going to try this or try that and go after them. I think for Edmonton, that that's got to be where the, they, they shouldn't be watching any other team right now. They should only be watching the LA Kings. It'll be interesting to see how the series is called, all of them. Uh, Oilers have a big advantage in terms of power play over the Kings. Both of their PKs aren't that good. And then where the series is decided five on five, is it Deneau, McDavid, Kopitar, Dreisaitl, or does it matter when you got two and two? I mean, we're going to see the best of Philip Deneau, who might score 30 goals this year. 
I can't believe it. And why did he leave Montreal again? Or was that a fait accompli? I, I, I kind of forget. But his job is to do a lot of other things. What he does offensively is great. But now this is one of the reasons they brought him in is Kopitar's aging to have Kopitar and Deneau down the middle to go head to head with 97 and 29. I don't know if you think it matters, that matchup. I'm intrigued by that matchup. Well, I'm intrigued too, but here's what I always believe. You don't have to put one against the other all the time. Mix it up. Throw Kopitar, McDavid, throw Kopitar, dry. The thing about great players, and I learned this from Ganey, I learned this from Bob, Bob uh, Scotty Bowman, is that good players, great players know how to adjust. So the more you can just keep them off balance, just even guessing, okay, I'm going to throw Kopitar at you here for a period, or maybe the whole game. Then I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw a little bit of Dino at you one, one year at uh, one time. We played against Colorado one year in the playoffs, and Peter Forsberg was running rough shot over us. Like, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was rough shot. It comes in game one. I mean, it was just, it was scary, Steve. Like he was, so after game one, Bob suggests to uh, Ken Hitchcock, he goes, you know what? Like may, maybe throw Carbono at, uh, at Forsberg. And uh, Ken kind of, you know, kind of, okay. Like Bob goes through it. Why, you know, Guy is, Guy is sharp and everything. We win game two. Guy was fabulous. Going into game three, Ken says to Bob, he goes, uh, yeah, he goes, this is good. He goes, I'm going to throw Carbono at Forsberg again. Bob goes, don't do it. Hitch goes, what do you mean? Don't do it. He goes, don't do it. He goes, Forsberg will kill him. And Hitch goes, what do you mean? He goes, listen, you got to keep him off balance. He goes, he, all he was doing was sizing him up. He sized him up now. We don't want to put guillotine. And he, and he talked about keeping off balance. In the 1976 Stanley Cup final, you know what Scotty Bowman did against Bobby Clark? He used four different centers against him. Jacques Lemaire, Peter Mahovlich, Doug Jarvis, and Doug Risebrow. Because he said, Bobby Clark's too good. And you got to keep him off balance. You got to always find a way to keep him off balance. That's what I'd be doing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Oh, I love it. And, you know, I love that stories and it's in our wheelhouse. Um, we'll yes. talk about uh, the 70s uh, and the Montreal Canadiens a bit yes. later in the program. Um, okay, to the east. Toronto goes into Tampa and whacks Vasilevsky 6-2 with 34 in the lineup. Toronto goes back into Tampa without 34 and Tampa then whacks Toronto. What does all that mean? I don't mean W-A-X. I mean W-A-C-K-S. They waxed them. They waxed them. So does this set up a great two, three? Do we learn anything? Does it, does it lead to who wax is each other next? Um, this is intriguing now because it's looking like a blue and white two, three in the Atlantic. Yeah, it is. Here's what I would say. Going into the game, I said this. I said, I think it means more to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Just be, And I don't. it wasn't even so much about Toronto. It was about them keeping their placing, about, you know, finding their footing. Remember, they lost to the Detroit Red Wings, right? Yep. And, you know, so, so, you know, it's about finding their game. You want to find your game there. And Toronto's a good opponent, right? It got away from Toronto in that second period, and it just got away. So here's what I would say. You're Toronto. You're going, okay, whatever. It's one of those nights. If you're Tampa Bay, and even Steven Stamkos said, he goes, I don't know how much it means. We got to get our game going. We beat a good team. But, you know, once the playoffs start, we got to have some things in order. And I think that that's what it's about. I'm not reading anything into this. First of all, Campbell's not playing. Matthews isn't playing. Muzzin isn't playing. Let's just wait and see, okay? I think that, you know, when you're looking at two of the best teams in the National Hockey League, like six, seven teams in the National League that I have in that, that I put in that top half dozen seven. Toronto yeah. and Tampa Bay are two of them. What a series. St. Louis and Minnesota are two of them. What a series, right? <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, you start to talk about it, right? Like, and you start to think about these are the first round matchups. 
pretty, pretty impressive. And uh, so that's the way I look at it. I, I don't put a lot of stock into the all the physical play. And I, I think both these teams know how to stand up to the challenges and the physical play. Should be a should be a great series if if, if that's how it turns out. Yeah, uh, May second and in third, we assume all the series will start. I want to get your uh, GM hat and how it works with scheduling and playoffs and all that stuff in just a bit. So staying in the East, then uh, Boston, Washington, Pittsburgh. We saw Pittsburgh over Boston. Casey DeSmith plays maybe the game of his life, all things considered. The Capitals. Their strength of schedule, I think they're going to win on the 22nd of April going into the weekend. Everything's in play here. Carolina plays the New York Rangers. It's great that we don't know. Like any combination now other than Florida 1 and 2-3 Toronto Tampa probably in that order. Remember before before the game it wasn't carved in. We had only one thing, Florida versus 8, and we didn't know who it was. So now what do we know? What do you think happens? Will will anti-Ranta get the canes first in the metro well there's not a lot of games left right so (laughs) so i start to play you know the schedule off a little bit so my answer is yes yes he can that's a good that's a good carolina team make no mistake about it so yes he can and do i think he can provide some really good play in the play yeah i think he can i think what auntie's biggest challenge has been the last number of years has been health yeah it hasn't been it hasn't been his play it's been his health being able to stay in the in the rhythm of being a good goaltender and and when you're not healthy and you're trying to come back from injuries it's hard to stay in that rhythm but when he's in a rhythm he's been good so yes i don't, I don't have a problem with anti ranta not at all and and to me as a manager they moved off Nadelkovich. We could argue if that was right or wrong or not the right time and bring in Freddie and Auntie Ranta. And having Freddie be the horse and say, you play 60 and Auntie Ranta plays 22 means he'll get hurt less. And now that Freddie's hurt and they need Auntie Ranta, in theory, if it is Boston, the Canes should be good enough and deep enough with adding Domi and Kutkaniemi coming back, I think to still win. I, I, I believe that. And if you look at Auntie Ranta's numbers, for a backup, he's higher than the league average. His record, like this is brilliance to me. Who goes out and get two new goalies when they think they've got a goalie? And it might be the difference of moving on and maybe winning the cup. Like to me, this is, is this Ron Tugnut? Is this Corey Schwab? Is this, like to me, this is an under-evaluated situation here if, and so far if, he answers the bell. Yeah, but well, okay, so we're, we're always going to have those ifs. There's no question about it, right? We're always going to have those ifs. I'm going to go to the owner, Tom Dundon. Okay. So Tom Dundon has a, has a belief and a philosophy of how he wants to run the organization. I, I, I love what Tom Dundon does in Carolina. I love what he does. He says, here's where we think our, our parameters are with, with contracts and everything. And if you fit great. And if you don't see, ya. he doesn't get all fussed about, you know, players going out the door. How many bad, like bad contracts are there in the league? Bob Gainey said this many years ago, there's no such thing as bad players. There's just bad contracts. Well, right, right, right. So, so Tom Dunn says, I'm not getting like, they look at their arbitration case. They look where they could lose because the arbitration case that everybody does in the league, it becomes pretty clear cut where you're going to have to make a, a deal. And then Tom Dunn goes, well, do we think that that's value? Because he's always trying to look at like, okay, what does this mean? If we take dollars and put them here, does it take away from there? I love the fact that he doesn't get married to, I, oh, we got to keep this guy. So people go, oh, it's unorthodox. Oh, geez, he's, he's a renegade. No, he isn't. He just says, we're not, we're not operating based on one player or this contract or anything. We can walk away. We can walk away from players. 
I love the fact that he does that. And I love the fact that the Metro in the East is still up in the air, round and round. This kind of roulette wheel goes where the white ball, or in this case, the black puck stops. No one knows. We won't know until April the 29th when the Capitals, Penguins, Canes, Rangers, Bruins all finish up their schedules. It's time for KB on Ice, an inside look at the NHL brought to you by our very good friends at Sports Interaction. Sports Interaction is Canada Sportsbook, 19 plus play responsibly. Mr. Button, what a weekend coming up in the NHL. Well, tell me about it. And, and you know what? The Vegas Golden Knights have life. The Vegas Golden Knights didn't look like they had life, but they have life. And I didn't expect it to come from the Dallas Stars. Dallas Stars go to Alberta and they lose both games. They're in tough, I'll tell you. I think Vegas gets in. It's amazing to think that they could have to face the Colorado Avalanche. But we'll leave that for another day. That, that, that'll be next week when we get a little bit more certainty. What do you got coming up on Saturday? Because that is a schedule. I want to get someone a nice parlay so they can visit you in Germany and watch <laughs> Connor Bedard live, okay? okay. Boston, they didn't look good against Pittsburgh. We'll beat the Rangers at home. I feel all these will be one-goal games, just so you know. Then Nashville over Tampa in Tampa, and Toronto goes back to Florida and doesn't blow it this time and ends Florida's mammoth winning streak. Boston, Nashville, Tampa, parlay that, all one-goal games, and you'll visit Craig in Germany. What do you think? Oh, hey, listen, Munich's a great little spot to be. I'll tell you what, it's beautiful here. You can see the backdrop. I will say this. The Boston Bruins played great against Pittsburgh. Casey DeSmith was lights out. So, you know, it wasn't like they didn't have a good game. They, they got beat by a better goaltender. Although I'm taking Tampa Bay at home versus Nashville. So that's the only one I'm off of. But I like the parlay. I like the parlay. I, I, I'll put some ka-ching, ka-ching on your parlay. Great stuff. With the most competitive odds, sports interaction makes it easy to deposit, play, and cash out. Join now and see all sports betting has to offer. Head to sportsinteraction.com forward slash cool button pod. That's sportsinteraction forward slash cool button pod. 19 plus play responsibly. Craig, watching hockey in the hockey basement on Thursday, I see the ad. Watch Craig Button. No, I didn't say that, but uh, it said TSN U18 starts with Team Canada USA. I see Connor Bedard there. Reminds me of one American writer that said, big deal, he scored four goals against this team at the World Juniors. I said, you don't know where Regina is. You don't know where the WHL is all about. Okay, all right, here we go. So he's just one of many very good players on both teams and in this tournament. So for those who don't even know what the U18s are, why don't you start by explaining the U18s and the kind of history. Remember, Shane Wright and CHLers missed this tournament because of the Memorial Cup chase, and we kind of come around in the summer to the Helenka Gretzky to kind of also go at it again. So kind of give the IIHF logic here in setting the table for this tournament. Well, it's a, it's a major best on best tournament. It's a, it, it's players under 18. So for this year's cohort is players born in 2004 or later, you know, so, you know, Shane Wright played last year. He captain candidate of the gold medal as an underage player, just like Connor Bedard is going to captain candidate this year's tournament as an underage player. But, it, but it, you, you want to see what the future of the NHL is tune into the U18 because, you know, there's going to be 12, perhaps 14, 15 first round picks that are playing in this tournament. And that's that's and, and some of the players that may have had an opportunity to play in the tournament aren't here because of the CHL playoffs and whatnot. Slovakia is not here because they didn't get a chance to requalify. So a couple of first round picks aren't aren't, aren't uh, here because they're not here. But 
it, it, it's a best on best. I mean, a few years back in, in, in Orschelsvik in Sweden, Sweden had never won the U18. I've seen great players play for Sweden forever. They played on home ice. And Lucas Raymond scores a hat trick in the gold medal game, including the golden goal in overtime. Alexander Holtz, you know, scores the other goal. Sweden wins the wins the championship on home ice. Well, they were underage players at that time. Where's Lucas Raymond now? Oh, he's a star in the NHL. Alexander Holtz is going to be a top-notch player in the NHL. Scaroff was the goaltender. Jack Hughes was playing for the USA. Cole Caulfield was on the USA. Matt Boldy, Trevor Zegras. Okay, I can keep going and going and going and going, okay? That's the quality of player that's here. So there's Connor Bedard. He's not available till next year. Adam Fantilli, he's not available till next year. They're not the only guys here. I mean, you start looking at the U.S. team, five or six first-round draft picks that are here. And this U.S. team's loaded like they are every year. Sweden has a number of guys that are going to be first-round draft picks. Finland. So, you know, Russia obviously isn't here for uh, the reasons of uh, uh, the IIHF uh, banned uh, Russia and Belarus from the tournament. So there's some quality players missing from uh, from Russia, certainly. But at the end of the day, this is a top-notch tournament. And what we're what everybody's trying to do is, is give uh, a, a profile to what the future of the NHL looks like. In 2013, Steve, Sochi, the U18 tournament was in Sochi. It was a dry run for the 2014 Olympics with the facilities and everything. You know who the headliner was there? Connor McDavid. Now, he was only – he just turned 16. I remember people like, oh, how good is this McDavid? Well, everybody left that turn. Oh, I see how good he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, and, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now what's McDavid done in the NHL, right? Like, so you, I'm telling you, it's brilliance. Back to your comment about, about I heard the same comment about Connor Bedard. Oh, yeah, I, I, it's Austria. Okay, great. Fair enough. If it's Austria, why didn't everybody do it? Because they can't. Four, four goals. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Connor Bedard's brilliant. So don't tell me that it was Austria because if it was Austria, they would have won 37 one and lots of guys would have scored four goals. Yeah. Yeah. Last year in Texas, right. Uh, with Shane, Wright, Connor Bedard, that backhand goal from oh. the circles. I thought to myself, that's a, that's an NHL backhand at this age in the clutch. And it's the weakest shot in our sport still. Like, you know, not everyone has a Paul Correa, Matt Sundin backhand. Like, let's be honest, a lot of guys can really shoot. But on the backhand, it's a lot harder to go to that choice. Forehand, backhand, boom. And then, okay, well, let's see what he does this year in the WHL. Wow. Let's see some of the highlight reels. Let's see some of the other stuff. So who is he? Like, is he a, a Pat LaFontaine? Is he a right-handed? Steve Eiserman. Steve Eiserman. Okay. okay. He's Steve Eiserman. He was pretty good. Steve Eiserman. You know, I always try, well, as a type of player, I always try to look at what, what are the skills that the players possess? How do they attack the game? How do they play it? What do they look like? I'm not saying he's going to be Steve Eiserman, but the way he shoots the puck, you, you know, what was interesting about that backhand goal, the previous play, he missed the penalty shot. Yes, yes. He missed a penalty shot, and he went to the bench, and he's sitting there and watching Connor. He, he learns. He learns quickly. And then he comes right back out there, and he makes that backhand shot, right? Like, you know, and one of the things about that reminds me more and more to, to, to me of the way Iserman played was how quickly he processes in real time at high speed. And, like, you talk about the highlight. So there he is, misses the penalty shot, learn, I'm going to take a backhand. Like, who even thinks that? 
the brilliant players think that they, they pull off not only the unexpected, they pull off what most other people think is unachievable. And quite frankly, for most people, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. If uh, Connor Bernard is the, the best or one of the very best players on team Canada, uh, does Logan Cooley highlight the U S team? Is he going second overall? Is he at worst a top three or four? Uh, what can you tell us about the guy who stole my lane or my nickname? Cooley. Well, well, here, here's one of the most fascinating things for me with Logan. Logan's a brilliant player. I don't, I think he's the second best player in the draft after Shane Wright. I don't know if he's going second or not. I just know that's how I rate them. And, you know, but the USA team, they got Cutter Gauthier. They got uh, Jimmy Snuggerud. They got Frankie Nazar, uh, the third. I love that. Frankie Nazar, the third, right? You know, they got a couple, of, they got Isaac Howard. Like they have some really good players that certainly are going to go in the top two rounds. I just named five guys. Maybe Chesley goes in the in the first round. Pretty pretty darn good group there. Logan Cooley though grew up in Pittsburgh. Who's his favorite player? I ask you this, my friend. Who's his favorite player? Well, I'm going to guess Sidney Crosby. You're wrong. Oh, his favorite player is Alexander Ovechkin. Grows up in Pittsburgh. Went to Sidney Crosby hockey schools, and his favorite team is Washington and Alexander Ovechkin. I have one question for Logan Cooley: How did this happen? <laughs> I do as well. They're going to call him Logan Uncooley. Don't tell people that. Don't tell people that. So, Craig, we'll be watching you. It's a great event, and you do a great job, my friend. Great job on the tube for TSN. Uh, Obi can score. Um, you know, you might get to 10, 11, 50 goal seasons. We tragically and uh, sadly uh, lost uh, Mike Bossy too young at 65. And now from that era as well, someone you know very well, Guy Lafleur passing away at the age of 70 and how Montreal got him in the first overall. And when people didn't believe in the draft, uh, we remember the bubble helmet. We remember him returning as a Nordique and Ranger. We remember him down the wing from La Mer, how Gilles Gilbert got beat. Guy Lafleur at the age of 70, one of the greatest players of all time has passed on my friend. Yeah, it takes me to my childhood. You know, Guy Lafleur was my childhood idol. And, you know, going to being it was one thing. I mean, I, I mean, isn't that how it works? You know, we were just kidding about Logan Cooley growing up in Pittsburgh, but he loved Ovechkin, right? Like, you know, like, but but you grow up someplace and you get an opportunity to watch a player. And I certainly had that luxury growing up in Montreal. And to watch Guy Lafleur play, it was phenomenal. It, it, it was just unbelievable. I didn't know Guy. I met him a couple of times. I remember having uh, with Bob Gainey, we had dinner with him at one of his favorite places, Cafe La Paix, which is no longer in Quebec City. And it was just one of those lovely evenings where you're, where you're just sitting there kind of in awe. Like, I can't believe I'm having dinner here. But, you know, growing up, I was at the Game 7 in 1979 when Lafleur scored that, 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 that tying goal. Lambert wins it in overtime. But the thing about Guy Lafleur, and he... When he came out on the ice, you got to the edge of your seat because you knew something magnificent had the possibility of happening. And a lot of times it did. And he pulled you out of your seat and he was able to do it. Scotty Bowman told me once, he said, most natural uh, player I ever was around. Now, he's been around some pretty good players, but he said the most natural player he was ever around in terms of dealing with any, and the other thing Scotty said about, you could not intimidate Guy Lafleur, not in any way. There was nothing that intimidated him, nothing. And he just played. And you think about, you know, six straight 50 goal seasons, pretty impressive for, for the flower. And, you know, the expectations of being, uh, you know, the first overall pick coming into Montreal, the way Sam Pollock was able to acquire that pick, 
There was even talk when he came in because Jean Belvo was retiring. He wore number four with the Quebec Ramparts, Guy Lafleur did, that perhaps maybe they would give number four and not retire Belvo's four and give it to Lafleur and Lafleur not having any of that, right? But I mean, that that's the kind of you talk about the great saying from Flanders Fields from failing hands, we throw you the torch. Like Belavo to Lafleur, well, I'll tell you what, that torch, it shone brightly. <laughs> it, it burned hot in Guy Lafleur's hands. And, you know, first bossy uh, just a few days back and now Guy Lafleur. I mean, tell you what, it's, uh, it, you know, the memories that we have, enjoy them, take them to heart, be a kid when we, when you think back to them. And for all the players out there, you know, there's kids that you're inspiring through your play just by playing and having fun playing. It is fun to play. And I was no different. I'm a little bit older now, but it's no different today. Enjoy the, enjoy the players you're watching and idolizing and growing up because, uh, you know, what they do is special. What they do is unique. And they're not going to be with us forever. And I think that in our wheelhouse, the group chats and the friends that say, oh, my God, Mike Bossy or, oh, my God, Gila Fleur, it's because having never met them, we and they know them because they've been such a big part of our lives. They watched 50 and 50 for the second time after, you know, the rocket did it uh, decades earlier. They watched Lafleur dominate Jerry Cheevers and the Bruins in the garden. Like they, they were never going to win in 77 or so like they weren't going to win. Um, it was going to be Montreal. Yeah. The Rangers won game one in 79, but it, it's the Habs and to win the cups and the art Rosses and the hearts, all that stuff is great. I guess I'll say to you, that with all the great players was Lafleur. would you call him the straw? Would you call him the X for like with all the other guys that did the physicality or the defense and the grit, it's like, Oh, we're, we're managing Montreal. Oh, and then here comes Guy down the wing. Here comes Guy. And you're just saying it's, he, he's the difference maker. He is the, you know, the manana that just turns a phenomenal team into one of the greatest, maybe the greatest of all time. Yeah. You know, there's so many places I could go with this, Steve. And, you know, I, I'm reminded of how teams come together and, and, you know, you, you, we use words like culture and, you know, and, and different things to how you build it and everything, you know, when you get good quality people and you get people that care about uh, you know, the outcomes and they know they're going to bring their best every day. That's how you get special teams. And the Montreal Canadians were that. So I'm going to finish with this. Bob Gainey told me this once he played together with Guy Lafleur for 10, 11 years. And he said, you know, we were, we came from very different backgrounds. Bob from Peterborough, his dad walked to work every day. You know, Guy was, was this great, had this great flair, the French Canadian star coming into the Montreal Canadiens. He said, they couldn't wait for Guy Lafleur. For me, they were saying, why did we draft Bob Gain? <laughs> you know, Bob was the eighth overall pick. He said, and you know, we, we, we had different styles of game and we had different personalities. He said, but both of us, when we walked into that Montreal Canadiens dressing room, we knew what our jobs were. We knew that, I knew that what he had to do and he, and, and, and I knew what I had to do and we respected it and knew that without one another, we weren't going to win. 
So whether you were LaPointe or, La, or, or Ganey or LaFleur or Lemaire or Robinson or Risebrow or Lambert or Trump, like everybody knew that they had a part on that team. Everybody knew they had an important part. And when they walked in together, they all recognized how great Guy LaFleur was. But Guy LaFleur also recognized how important they were to allowing him to be great. And that's what great teams have. And that's what the Montreal Canadiens had. And certainly Guy's star, Sean Brightley. But the team star, Sean Brighter. And that's what mattered to Guy just as much. I love it. I love it. Well said, my friend. Uh, We're going to miss Guy, Mike, Clark, and Dale, of course. Uh, It's been a tough little while in the game of hockey. Craig, thanks for sharing that story. Be well in Germany, my friend. We'll reconvene next week. This has been episodes 58, 59 comes your way at the beginning of the week. For Craig Button, Bruce Bolton, I'm Steve Coolius. Take care of yourselves. <laughs>